Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. On this episode of The Booze Hustle, I get to talk to wine industry powerhouse Nova Katamatre. Not only is she an incredible winemaker, but she's also the first woman winemaker to achieve Master of Wine status in 2017. She has been awarded Top 40 Under 40 from Wine Enthusiast Magazine. She worked as the director of winemaking for Robert Mondavi Winery and now is embarking on some pretty incredible wine projects out in the Finger Lakes, uh, most notably her wine brand Trestle 31, all while balancing being a mother of two kids. As far as the wine industry goes, Nova is a true hustler and a subject matter expert. But best of all, she is incredibly down to earth and humble considering her accomplishments. Hope you enjoy. Well, obviously, there's some big changes for you recently. I'm very excited for you. Um, I'd love to hear more about um, your projects that you're working on now and um, your vineyards. And I'd love to come to the Finger Lakes anytime. Uh, But yeah, tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. So yeah, it's it's been um, it's been a bit of a crazy whirlwind couple of months at this point. Um, so we, I, I'm leaving my full time job uh, at Constellation and um, am moving full time into being self employed, which is super exciting and super scary all at the same time. But mm-hmm. you know, when we started our company Trestle Thirty One back in 2015, um, we had already been planning on doing something on our own for years. Like that's how my husband and I both got into the wine industry. And so it felt like a very natural progression, but then it got really real in 2020 when it, you know, at the beginning of 2020, everything kind of fell apart and all of our sales collapsed. And it was kind of like, okay, is this the point that we just give this up and fold it and be like, all right, that was fun. Or do we double down and really like work through this like a real business would? And, um, and so obviously we did the latter and it was our best year ever once things awesome. started coming up and, you know, getting going. And then, um, last year we opened a tasting room in Geneva, New York, and, um, that made it very real and very concrete and like, okay, now we, we have a business and we have employees and it, and it was growing really fast. And so, and I was doing all of it on kind of nights and weekends. And my husband was, you know, both of us work full time, full time parents, you know, and so it was kind of like we were squeezing the business stuff around everything else that was going in our life. And it was getting to the point where, I mean, we were up until like midnight, 1 a.m. in the morning, like working on business stuff. And I was like, Brian, this is just not sustainable. We can't keep doing this. And so um, I made the decision to step away from um, my job at Constellation for Robert. You removed, you removed the cushion. 
I removed the cushion, yeah, and <laughs> jumped off the cliff. And um, yeah. and so it's it's now been so nice to be able to do things I need to do during normal working hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's been able to really like help me focus on things like this and, you know, yeah. thoughts for the business. And so, so yeah, so now we're just, you know, we're working with the growth and planning, you know, events for the tasting room for this year and working on a new Napa project and, you know, keeping our naked wine project going, which is snowshell vineyards through them. And, and so it's really been a, a fun exciting time for sure. Yeah. I, I admire you so much because you have um, this very, uh, you come at the business from so many different angles. Um, you're coming at it from a winemaker perspective. You have an, uh, your master of wine. You've gone the education route. You're a business person. And all of those things on their own are, you know, a, a incredibly time consuming and all encompassing. So I think you're a badass. And I was like, I got to talk to her because you're super inspirational for your career trajectory. Um, I'd love to start way long time ago, like think Nova in high school. Like, what did you think you were going to be? Like, what was your, what was your plan? Well, my first career choice was as a ballerina actually. And so I was part of a professional company in South Carolina uh, for a few years until I realized um, I was a little bit too tall and the wrong body type <laughs> for that. Um, so uh, they couldn't find anybody to partner with me. Like I was much taller than most of the other, the guys. And and so nobody could lift me. Nobody could turn me. It was, <laughs> you know, so I was very limited in my, um, my career choice there. And so after that, I decided to go into music. So I play flute. And so I said, okay, well, if I can't perform in dance, I'll perform in, in music. And um, I had a problem in music that I never had in dance is that I got serious stage fright. Whereas dance, I'm no problem. Public really? speaking, no problem with, with playing flute in front of people. I like orchestras, no problem. Solo-ish type things or more yeah. exposed pieces. I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it because like everybody's sitting there staring at you. Right, right. And <laughs> and so weird. I lost control of my breath and with flute like that's that's kind of critical. You have to oh, be yeah. you know. And so um for these auditions and stuff I just kept choking and choking and it it, it just never worked out. And so I auditioned huh. for to be a flute major at the University of Tennessee and that just did not go well. And so a flute um, major? Yeah. I didn't know you could major in flute. Yes. Yeah, you major in any <laughs> instrument. Um, and, and so I, I turned around and I really took a hard look at whether I really loved music enough Mm -hmm. to push through all the problems I was having with it. And, and I didn't have the same passion and love for it that I did for dance. And so it just felt like I was going to be, you know, fighting against something that I was never going to be really great at. Um, and so I decided that that probably wasn't a great pathway. I still enjoy playing at whole, but I don't play publicly at all. Um, and so then the next career was horticulture. And so that was, I was in college at that point. And how did it, you pick that? Um, so I came home after the whole tra- tragedy of the audition for music and started watering my plants. And I was like, how much is just something you could do with plants? Plants are nice. <laughs> they're quiet. They don't talk back. They don't care if you're <laughs> nervous. Like, you know, I love that how you literally came home and you were like, this'll do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I like so plants. 
I like plants. And so then I found that you could major in horticulture, which I didn't know you could do. And so I specialized in ornamental horticulture. So roses and orchids and and things like that. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And so then um, I I got my associate's degree is in horticulture in greenhouse management. And so, um, but once I got into my second semester of my last semester or my last semester of my horticulture degree, my husband, well, my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, he said, oh, we should start a vineyard. My family in Italy did it. It can't be that hard. And I'm like, well, let me see how hard grapevines are to grow. And so I started looking into it and they're super similar to roses actually. And so that is how I got into viticulture. And then from viticulture, it was a natural progression to wine growing. And so my bachelor's degree is in viticulture from Cornell Um, And then I moved out to California and became an assistant winemaker. And I've been in a winemaking track ever since, even though my degree's in viticulture, but it really, it's helps me a lot when I'm talking to growers and also helping because now I'm consulting as well. And so now I've got several clients that like are putting in vineyards and stuff like that. So I, it, it, I'm using it more now than I ever have before. You strike me as somebody who can't just do something like 25%. Like you're like an all or nothing. Like if I'm going to do this puzzle, I'm going to finish this fucking puzzle right now. (laughs) Like you seem very much like you're going to go to the absolute end and learn all of it. And that's, that's awesome. How cool. So your husband is also a winemaker. He's not. No, we, we talked about that a long time ago and we said we cannot have two winemakers in the same house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's kind of like having two chefs in the same household because you're always fighting over who's right. Um, so it's, you know, he's in finance, so he's in winery finance and operations, and he's done a bunch of stuff on like the managerial side of wine business, um, and managed a lot of different projects and mergers and acquisition stuff. And, and so he handles that side of things. And then I handle the winemaking and the um, marketing and PR type stuff. So that so between the two of us, there is very few parts of this business we haven't touched in a very in-depth way. That's interesting. And I, I was reading, I found an article about you um, in the Napa Valley Register. And there was a quote in there that I, I wanted to ask you about. You were talking about um, at, in your journey as a winemaker, um, really having a voice in the room and not feeling maybe like you were being heard or listened to, and that maybe inspiring you to like even continue your education like an extra step. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, so um, it actually was in my started in my first job out of college, and I always felt like people were saying, "Oh, well, you're just the young person. You don't know anything. You don't, you haven't really been in the industry very long." And I was oh, at that fun. point, I had been you know, working in the industry for four or three harvests, and I had a degree from Cornell. So I thought that counted for something, you know, and um, what I found is there were very few people that were willing to take me seriously or really listen to me or listen to what I had to say. And, um, you know, there were a lot of people that were kind of like the one like phrase that I hate to hear a lot is, oh, because we've always done it that way. Uh-huh. And it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. And so mm-hmm. I, I really, you know, I heard that a lot and I was like, well, why don't we try something new? Why can't we try something new? Give me a better reason of why we're doing something than we've always done it that way. Like if you have some sort of scientific empirical evidence that this is the best way to do it and you've tried several other things, great. I'm cool with that, but don't just say, oh yeah, that's just the way we do it. Cause that's what we do. And like, I just can't deal with that. And so, um, 
that really prompted me to go, okay, well, if this, if what, if the credentials I have already and the experience I have already isn't enough, what is it that's going to make it, you know, whoever I'm sitting with respect me and listen to me. And so that's when I found the master of wine program. And so, and through the, through that, the prerequisite was the WSCT program. So I started in with my WSCT three, then went and got my diploma and got I was doing actually the second year of the diploma and the first year of the W at the same time, which I tell people oh I do not recommend. And I don't even think no. they'll allow you to do that now. Like you, you almost can't get in the MW program without the diploma at this point. It's just, it's, it was insane, but you know, I did have kids at the time, you know, my husband and I were, were just, it was just the two of us. We didn't have the business. So I had all this free time, you know, and <laughs> so I was, working. I remember that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was working on, on, you know, my master of wine, and it took me eight years to get the Dang. MW finally. Um, well, let me ask you a question about that, because I feel like, and I know you'll know what I'm saying is some people, doesn't matter what you do to educate yourself. It doesn't matter how many years of experience you have, because this is, this is something that like I struggle with as well. Like, um, I think sometimes I, people perceive me as younger. Maybe it's the sound of my voice. Maybe it's just my attitude in general. But I mean, you know, I, I managed restaurants for a long time. I've been in wine and spirits industry around there about 20 years. And I still deal with customers who talk to me like I'm a moron. And I feel like looking back on that, I, I'm sure you're super um, happy that you did it and you went through it. But do you think that maybe it wouldn't have even mattered to some of those people? It doesn't. And they're absolutely right, because I've had instances in the past, you know, 12 months that I can call up and be like, all right, there's, I, I know what I'm talking about here. And somebody totally didn't listen to me. Right. Um, and you know what, it, I, what I've come to learn is it doesn't really matter. It, it is really the it's, and it's not your problem. It's not something that you can fix. Right. It's the person that's hearing you or not hearing you problem. And so that's something that I've really learned since getting the MW is that there are still people that are just going to ignore you. And that's, that's, it's not okay, but you have to be okay with it in some sure. way. Well, I put you on the path that you're on now. So I'm sure you don't, you know, you wouldn't have changed anything on that. And I think it's, it's really incredible. Um, I want to, I want to ask you about motherhood in, and being a winemaker. Um, now do you have one child, two children? I have two. I have two. So okay. I have a pandemic baby. He was born in that's May of right. 2020. Oh my um, God, you're one of those. Good, I'm one of those good. women. Yes. Yeah, so Bless I, you, man. <laughs> my oldest is nine. <laughs> my oldest is nine and my youngest is 20 months. And he was born at the very beginning of the pandemic. And so he is going to be one of those kids that when we do get back to not having masks on, he is just going to be like, what is happening right now? Yeah. Because he literally has never seen anybody in a public situation without a mask on. And that's, that's crazy, crazy to me. It's, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. My, my best friend had a pandemic baby. We brought him um, this summer when it got a little bit less insane around here in the Northeast, we brought him to a store and he was, he had, we realized we're in the store. He had never been in a big store like that before. And he was just like, Oh my God, his little eyes are fucking out of his head. I was like, yeah, it's insane. I took Tishton to a grocery store um, last fall. Same thing. He was just like, there's yeah. so much food here. <laughs> but they're easily amused now because it's like, look, a grocery store. Hooray. It's like an amusement park. <laughs> um, well, I wanted to ask you about um, specifically about being pregnant and being a winemaker because, 
you know, I know uh, during my pregnancy, there were some, both of them, there was times where like I couldn't be around food or the smell of things. Like, how did you navigate that with, with your job? Yeah, that was really hard. My first pregnancy, especially because my senses, especially my sense of smell got really heightened. And I was, of course, studying for the MW program at the time and working as a winemaker. And so when that happened, like I didn't realize, I remember there was this one tasting we were doing and it was a blind tasting test for the MW, um, the practice session. And I called a Pinot Gris a muscat because it was just like, oh my gosh, it's so floral and intense. And I hadn't realized that things were changing with my senses. And so I was like, wow, how could I be so wrong? And then things like Gewürztraminer made me sick. Like they were yeah. so intense. Um, luckily around that time, what I was working with at my job was not super intense varieties. It was like Cab and Chardonnay and things like that. So, you know, I was, I was able to handle that, but I also had to be very careful about how much I was tasting and, you know, when I was spitting and, you know, and the other thing I thought was really, really interesting is there are like, there's two types of people in the wine industry. There's the people that think that pregnant women should not be drinking alcohol at all and mm -hmm. tasting or anything. And there's people that think it's totally fine to have a glass of wine a night or, as, or whenever as pregnant person, regardless of what your personal feelings on it are. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, there's very few like people in the middle that are going to be like, I respect whatever choice you're okay with. <laughs> there's like very vocal people on both sides that are like, what are you doing at this tasting? And then other people are like, why aren't you having a cocktail right now? I'm like, mm -hmm. uh, well, cause I'm, um, <laughs> you know, so it's, yeah, it's very interesting. The other thing is you have to kind of be upfront with it much earlier than most people would be typically comfortable yeah. talking about it with. Um, I was really lucky the first time around because my, you know, there was, I tried to hide it, but I had like four close coworkers that we were out in an event at some point and they were like, wait, what's going on with you? Like they, they clued mm -hmm. in very, very quickly. And then they kind of helped shield me from everybody yeah. else. So that was really nice. Um, where it was the second time, um, I just had to be like, look, pregnant, you know, not drinking right now. So, yeah, well, you're going to offend somebody no matter what you do in life. That's what I've, I've realized. I, I was working at a distributor, my, um, second pre pregnancy and we had, you know, our Fridays where we'd have 40 suppliers come in and we'd be drinking like, you know, um, heated scotch at 9 a.m., you know, and then like wine and stuff. And I, there was, depending on the supplier, sometimes they would be like, oh, no, no, not you. You know, like they'd walk by. I'm like, um, excuse me, I will be spitting out like everybody else. And like, good Lord. Yeah. You know, well, very, I think, it, I think that if, if people can just get to the point that it's a personal choice, like mm -hmm. it's your sure. choice and your comfort level at, because it's your body as a mother and as your, it's your child that you're carrying. And it's, you need to feel comfortable with whatever you're doing. Like it's your comfort level. It's not their comfort level. Like they, right. they have to trust you to make that choice for yourself. Listen, man, you're carrying that kid. You do what you want. I, I, I remember I looked at a guy once and I was like, listen, I quit the hard drugs. What do you want from me? <laughs> I did not think that was funny. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I wanted to ask you, um, do you have a mentor? I've had several mentors over the course of my career for different things. Like, you know, there, there's this concept of, oh, there's this one person that you find when you're a younger person early in your career that like helps you along and moves you. But that, I, what I've found is that's not in reality how things go. Like my, my main mentor for winemaking, I, I have several actually, but the one that really like kind of changed the trajectory of my career by far was Ed Killian that I worked with at Osti Winery. And Ed was just one of those like unicorn bosses that he was like, here, I will give you this yard and whatever you want to do in this yard is cool. I'll put the fences around it. So you're not going to go out there, but whatever you want to do inside it, go for it. And that was so much fun because I got to really kind of figure out who I was as a winemaker um, working under him. And he gave me a lot of trust and latitude and, and was really open to discussing new techniques and going, Hey, why don't we try this? And he would always be like, Oh, I haven't tried that. Let's try it. You know? And so he was like, he's like no ego at all. And it was, it was amazing because he's such a talented winemaker and nobody knows about him because he's very humble. Mm -hmm. Um, but he was an amazing person to work for because he really like helped me spread my wings as a winemaker and really moved me into the luxury space. Whereas before um, I was really working more in like the mid tier wine space. And so I um, really appreciated that. Um, so that he was kind of like my key mentor. And then um, obviously Scott McLeod was a huge influence on my Cabernet winemaking. I worked with him for a couple of years again while I was at Asti. Um, and, and so Scott really helped me like understand tannin and color management and extraction. And then you have mentors that are like mentors in business, you know, mentors in 
um, marketing. And, and so like Ed was definitely a mentor in managing people. You know, I was always like, if I can be half of the boss that Ed was, then I've done a good job. So I always try to think about when I was managing people, like what, what would Ed have done in this situation and how he would have handled it? And then I tried to handle it similarly. Um, and how would I appreciate being the situation handled if I were in the other person's shoes? Um, and then for business, like um, Chris Fernstrom has been just a huge um, advocate and mentor for me because he was an executive with Constellation way back when, and now he runs his own firm. Um, but he's just been so huge as I transition into consulting and like navigating that path because it's a different road and I've never walked this path before. Um, also, the there's some consultants I work with here in the Valley, like Thomas Rivers Brown and Andy Erickson, and they've been so great and, you know, gracious with their time and talking about like, how do you manage life as a consultant and, and mm -hmm. things like that. So, you know, it's just there's, there's people that walk into your life when you need them in your life. And, you know, going back to being a mother and being pregnant in this industry, you know, there are very few women winemakers to begin with. So finding somebody who's walked that path is very, very hard. Um, and so like Margot Van Stavern at Chateau St. Jean, like she was my godmother, basically, as I was walking through the first pregnancy. And she gave me some great advice, you know, towards the end. And she was like, look, just go home, rest, put your feet up. You'll never have another chance to do that while your kids are young. She was not wrong. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, she's, oh, just hire somebody to clean the house, give up on that. You know, you're never going to do it all. Just, you know, this, you know things Such like good that. advice. Yeah. Things like that. That's great. I, I think it's really important too, for people who don't have a mentor, um, it is really such good advice to, to not really look in one place, but to look in many for different things, different people for different things. And sometimes you're not ready in your life for, um, you know, what you might think you are. And I, I've had experiences where sometimes you get the mentor you need, not the mentor you want. Um, and you are able at whatever place you're in to appreciate those lessons at that time in a way that you maybe wouldn't have another time. So that's really awesome. Um, who do you think has influenced you most in your winemaking? Oh gosh, that's so. My first winemaking boss was a gentleman named John Wagant on the East Coast. He was the owner of Stargazer's Vineyard, and I worked for him for three months as my first harvest. He was very like old school, old world focused. You know, very like this is how wine should be made type type of a person. And I think he really did set me off down a very traditional winemaking path. Um, and so even though I wasn't with him very long, and even though, you know, as far as like fine tuning winemaking skills, like that was not something he, um, he helped with, he really did set me down a path. Um, then that was continued by Sean Kime at Thirsty Owl at Winery in the Finger Lakes. And Sean was the both the vineyard manager and the winemaker. And so he thought about the wines he was making as he was pruning, mm. like before you even saw fruit, you know, before flowering had even happened. And so that was a huge mentor in my mind of like how to connect the vineyard and the winemaking together. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course, you know, Ed was, was amazing as well. You know, so I, I can't really pinpoint one person because each person that I've worked under has added something to my career and my style. Do you have a favorite grape or is it like kids? You can't just like pick your favorite. It's like kids. It's absolutely like kids. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, um, I love 
I, what I've been telling people is they're like, well, what do you like to make? And uh, anything from France or Germany, I, you know, that's, if it grows in those two countries, I love to make it. And, um, and really, honestly, I, it's nothing against Spanish or Italian varieties. It's just, I haven't worked with them very much. So it's, you know, I love drinking them. I love drinking them too. I think my, like our go-to, like when we, when we do drink, we don't drink as much as we used to because we get in old and we have little kids, but um, our like our go-to is usually like Italian wines, French wines now. Just like, it's so funny. You go like this full circle in your career and then you like come back to the the simple classics, you know? Um, like what's your, what's the most drink style or type wine in your house with you and your husband? Champagne. Oh, we drink girl, a lot of speaking champagne. my language now. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, oh. it's funny because everybody was, uh, it's, uh, you know, Blake Gray, I think had put something out on Twitter a while back and he was like, oh, is this the champagne shortage impacting anybody? And I was like, nope, we hoard champagne like other people hoard <laughs> toilet paper. We, we have a stash and so we're good. Oh. All right. So like, I'm going to come hang out at your house the next time there's a, a lockdown. <laughs> we're gonna... Well, it's so funny because my husband and I, like we, we don't, we say we don't have a drinking problem. We have a buying problem. And we, that was very evident over the course of the pandemic because we tend to be very social drinkers. So we will open a bottle when we have like a group of friends over, but because we weren't entertaining, we weren't drinking, but we were still buying. And <laughs> I swear, I, I think we ended up with another 15 cases of wine in our oh cellar. Gosh over the course of the pandemic, because we weren't going anywhere, we weren't doing anything. And there were these great wine deals coming through. And I'm like, Oh, yes, please. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I'd love to hear a little more about your projects in the Finger Lakes. I think um, for someone who kind of, I talk to a lot of industry people, but I also have a lot of friends that are not in the industry that are interested in wine. I think the Finger Lakes in general is one of the most underrepresented and known about regions that make some of the highest quality wines in the country, especially Riesling. Um, and I, I can't wait for people to finally appreciate it in the way that it deserves to be. Um, so I'd love to be here about your projects up there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. And one, I totally agree with you. Um, and I don't know a single person in the Finger Lakes that wouldn't have agreed with that statement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we have to think about as a country, like the size of the United States is the size of continental Europe. And so our only quality winemaking places, I'm sorry, it cannot only be California, Washington, Oregon. I, I just don't see that as being a realistic possibility. It may be that's where it's easiest to grow, which is by far true. Um, but the Finger Lakes, I mean, we make some gorgeous wines up there. And, you know, I think the, the biggest issue is there's still this kind of misperception that, oh, if it's not made in California, it's sweet and cheap and, you know, too fruity and more hybridy native craziness, you know, nothing that there's wrong with that. There's plenty of people making beautiful hybrid wines and I'm going to be making some as well in Ohio shortly. So, you know, oh, it, cool. it's, um, you know, I think now there's a consumer in the United States that's ready to explore other places. Um, and I also think from a climate perspective and a climate change perspective, we really have to be more embracing of non-traditional areas to grow wine here in the United States um, and also different varieties because things are changing. Anybody who's in agriculture knows that even in the 20 years that I've been in agriculture and I've watched things change. Um, so, I know that even what we're growing today in the Finger Lakes is probably not what's going to be perfect there 
20, 30 years from now because sure. the climate is changing. And but what we're doing right now is some fabulous stuff like Gewurztraminers. Oh my gosh, best Gewurztraminers outside of Alsace. And nobody talks about Gewurztraminer in the Finger Lakes. Everybody's talking about the Riesling. The Riesling is great, totally good. But Riesling has that marketing problem that everybody's like, oh, this is sweet. You know, with the Snowshell Vineyards project, it's it's really interesting because I get a lot of real-time feedback from the Naked Angels about the wine. And there's there's kind of like three types of people. There's people that go in with an open mind about, oh, this is Riesling, let me try it. And they, they kind of look at it on the merits of the wine itself. There's people that are like, I just don't like Riesling. And then there's people that are like, this is not Riesling because it's not sweet. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. There's like those three camps of people. And, you know, it drives me crazy because there's this ingrained like, oh, if it's Riesling, it's got to be sweet. And that's not true. And, and Riesling can make amazing wine. Like Sauvignon Blanc is so popular and people who like Sauvignon Blanc will love dry Riesling. That's just mm-hmm. the way it goes. But sure. they, a lot of people won't give it a chance. And so... Um, so that's that's a really hard hard thing I think with the variety that grows best in the Finger Lakes right now is that the marketing. But I mean, our Chardonnay is spectacular. We've gotten amazing scores from decanter and, and stuff like that. So I think when we get into varieties like that, um, I think those varieties will ultimately what bring the reputation to the region. Even though right now, like what we're really known for is Riesling. Are you using oak in your Chardonnays? Yes, I do yeah. use oak in my Chardonnay. There's a lot of folks in the Finger Lakes who don't, um, but because I do so much lees work, I also use oak as well. So I use a oh, mix cool. of old and new Dargo Jaglais barrels at a medium toast, and then nice. I stir the lees like crazy for nine months. Man, I'm going to have to come up there and, uh, and, and taste some of these wines uh, as soon as I can get out of here. <laughs> I feel like I'm trapped. Um, well, that's awesome. So what's next for Nova? Well, you know, it's just, um, so we're relocating our family back to the Finger Lakes. So uh, we've bought a house and um, in March, it's wheels up out of Napa and going back to the to the Finger Lakes full time. And then we'll be um, truly bi-coastal at that point because we're starting the Napa cab out here called Feyerua. And um, we've got a vintage from 2018 that I actually made that I was able to get some wine from. Um, and so that'll be our first vintage. And then we'll have a couple of years due to various issues that, um, you know, between fires and, and just timing of things th- between that first inaugural vintage and then the next one that we'll release. Um, but I think it'll be a great way to, you know, show people that I can make amazing wine on both coasts and it's totally possible to do. Uh, and so we'll both be traveling back and forth for work out here and then, you know, managing the tasting room and the winery back there we need to build a winery. Um, so that's, that's another thing I'm working on for the Finger Lakes is, you know, bringing all of our production under one roof versus the five wineries we're crushing out right now, which I love them all. They're amazing, but it's, it's a logistical nightmare to, to crush at that many wineries for the size that we are. So it's, it's time we need our own winery. That's exciting. Well, best of luck with that. And um, are you doing any, are you continuing to do education where you're teaching MW or WSET? Yeah, I typically do more MW teaching and mentoring these days, um, though I do teach for the Napa Valley Wine Academy pretty regularly. And I'm, when I say pretty regularly, I mean a couple times a year. Um, I'm doing some really exciting stuff with the Wine Scholars Guild right now. So I just finished a 12-month blog series with them, and I did a, a webinar on like a Vidi 101 webinar last year. So I'm going to do a winemaking 
uh, several actually winemaking 101 uh, webinars this year. And then that'll go into a more um, in-depth, I think, educational program with them about like teaching people the ins and outs and the technical side of, of viticulture and winemaking, not to the point where you could go manage things yourself, but it would be you know enough that you could have a dangerous technical conversation with somebody. Yeah. You, I mean, your website is great. So if anyone wants to check out Nova's website, it's her name, novacatamatre.com. And uh, same Instagram handle, correct? Correct. Um, and you have a really great section of your website where it kind of breaks down um, wines into classifications based on like flavor characteristics, that which I thought was really um, helpful. And especially if you're, you know, learning about wine, it's helpful to think about them in that way. So yeah, definitely I'm following your career and, um, maybe one day when I get past my diploma level, I can find my way into one of your classes for master of wine. Um, doubtful now, uh, with my, with the amount of, uh, work I'm doing and balls I'm juggling, but maybe I can dream. Well, uh, you know what? I think, you know, I think people have this misunderstanding that it's the people that don't have a lot going on that end up being successful in the master of wine exam. But I honestly, I, I see the opposite. I see it's the people that just really want to do it, but have a lot to manage. And those people typically, I think are better at managing their time and compartmentalizing and moving stuff around. And so I, I see that it's, it's not the people that like take three years off and they're like, all I'm going to do is study. You know, it's, it's the people that have careers and families and, and stuff like that 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 tend to be successful because you're already juggling a lot and you just find a way to fit it in like that's just kind of the way it works uh, juggling a lot it's uh like the bumper sticker of my life right now <laughs> <laughs> for sure well thank you so much for your time it's been really awesome talking to you and um i really can't wait to taste some of the wines that you're working on in the future from the finger lakes and beyond um thanks again all right thanks so much for having me Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.